I allowed myself to be myself. And I didn't just maybe inspire people who are like me to be themselves. I actually inspired and encouraged somebody who isn't like me to be a better person. And I realized that actually me allowing myself to be who I wanted wasn't just something for people like me. It was for people who aren't like me as well. Hi, I'm Adam. Hello, I'm Joe. Welcome to Pride and Progress, a podcast which amplifies the voices of LGBT plus educators and allies. In each episode, we're joined by a variety of guests to discuss how we can collectively reimagine our educational spaces as LGBT plus inclusive. Join us as we learn, unlearn and celebrate the power of diversity. This episode of Pride and Progress with Ada HD contains some strong language and some strong political opinions. Hello friends and welcome to Pride and Progress. Today we are delighted to welcome Sab Samuel, whose pronouns are they them and are better known as Ada HD, the storytime drag queen and founder of Drag Queen Story Hour UK. Ada HD is an ADHD neurodivergent queer hero of literature, theatre and children's entertainment. They are a patron of Autistic Inclusive Meets London, a professional author, a five-star Edinburgh Fringe Act, and has been featured on Forbes magazine for being an activist for neurodivergence and was chosen by Pink News as the local leader of the year in 2022 and has been nominated top three LGBTQ champions of the year 2023 and finally top 10 outstanding contributors to LGBT plus life 2023 by the LGBT Brit Awards. An amazing array of compliments. Sab, welcome to the show. Hello! <laughs> oh, that's that the energy is the, we need. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing after the day I've had. That's the energy I need. Um, welcome. I'm so glad that you could join us making time to speak with us today. Around, I suppose it was about six months ago now, Adam and I were, join- were at the NEU LGBT Educators National Conference, um, where we were capturing the weekend for a special episode of the podcast. And on our first night there in Bristol at the conference, we were lucky enough to see you perform. And your performance and the thoughts that you shared with us were were touching at times and thought-provoking and hilarious. And and after the performance, Adam and I looked straight at each other and said, season three. (laughs) So I'm so glad that we've got you here. We're having this conversation today. I'm I'm curious because we were kind of introduced to you that night as a a drag queen and a performer and, and I would say a comedian. But I'm always curious to know how you get to that point. Can you tell us a little bit about where drag started for you? Uh, I remember being in the womb. and (laughs) Well, I mean, there's two instances that really shout out to me about when I first time I did drag. One was in a gay bar for uh, a drag competition. And that was for a little bit of a laugh, just a bit of fun. But the first, first time that I dressed in drag... I was 13 years old and I was at an all boys school and I was asked by the head of English, would you like to be the evil villainess in our school play? Uh, And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And it was a bit of a question and a half really by the teacher because at that time, well, I say at that time, throughout the whole of my school um, career, I was bullied horrendously, like many LGBTQ people. I had people spit on me. I had to look over my shoulder whenever leaving or arriving at school. And it was an all-boys school as well. So the amount of closeted boys is horrendous. (laughs) And he just dealt with lots of, you know, hierarchies of 
people who think they're better versus people who aren't actually whatsoever and class systems and uh, you know, it was just horrible in some ways. But yeah, I was asked to perform in drag at my school play. Um, and it was an interesting situation, really, because a few weeks prior, I had actually been pushed onto the floor and kicked in the head by a specific bully. And they were a pretty nasty piece of work, as I remember. And when I performed in drag, I had actually gotten a standing ovation. <laughs> Uh, uh, I got um, uh, a letter from the headmaster, a letter from the governor. Uh, my parents uh, had commented, of course, probably quite biasly uh, about how amazing I was and how I stood out. But then loads of other parents had commented that I had done very well. Uh, and even with all of that praise, that is not the praise that I remember. The praise that I remember is the bully the Monday after, coming up to me and saying, uh, excuse me, uh, did, <laughs> uh, did you, uh, dress in drag, uh, uh, in the school play? And I said, um, uh, yeah, what's it to you? I was prepared, you know, kind of like metaphorical ninja arms being held up, kind of big brick wall being built as a click of a finger, just preparing for some sort of onslaught of, you know, a side jab of, me being effeminate, a word that I got taunted with at school, which I always thought was a big word for bullies anyway. But this uh, this bully came up to me and said, did you do drag at the school play? And I said, yes. What's it to you? And he says, uh, fair play, mate, fair play. And I thought, oh my God. Oh my God. This is power. This is This is something. I allowed myself in a world of hate at the time, and in some ways I still am, to be honest, um, I allowed myself to be myself at school. And I didn't just, you know, maybe inspire people who are like me to be themselves. I actually inspired and encouraged somebody who isn't like me to be a better person. And I realized that actually me being myself, me allowing myself to be who I wanted, wasn't just something for people like me, it was for people who aren't like me as well. And that just resonates through me and resonates through my career, resonates through every single book that I've now written. It just speaks volumes about what it really means to be an LGBTQ person who is proud to be who they are. I mean, it's amazing that you got that affirmation after that. But actually, of course, it must have taken some bravery at the age of 13 to stand on stage and do that. So up to that point, did you have some role models? And what kind of gave you the uh, the the, uh, the confidence to give that a go? Two big questions there. What role models did I have and what gave me the confidence to perform? Um, firstly, my role models that I had growing up, I didn't have any, at least no LGBTQ ones, because I was a victim of Section 28. And so not having a single LGBT role model, being that it was illegal to mention that in the first place, I, I and I think many other LGBT people, looked up to, I say the next best thing, but I mean, these people are still fabulous um, and amazing uh, I looked up to the powerful women in my life. And it was the powerful yes. women, the, the, the Lady Gagas, the Madonnas. And uh, whether I realized it or not at the time, me at the age of 13, what gave me the power, the confidence, the ability to accept that I am effeminate, as I said, a word that was used to 
devalue who I was growing up were the powerful women in my life. And I don't just mean pop stars, you know, my mother, my grandmother, both of my first books were dedicated to my mother and my grandmother. Uh, in fact, every single book that I published has been dedicated to women. I love that you use the word power there because it's such an important word to use, isn't it? Like we talk about queer joy and queer power on this podcast and actually to take something that's been thrown at you as like a slur or an insult in your past to then kind of take that as a badge of honour and take that it's something that is powerful and to be a role model for others. That's really incredible. And obviously that's what you're now doing for other people. We said in your introduction um, about being ADHD and neurodivergent and uh, we've seen you perform and you are an absolute bundle of energy and it's one of your um, one of the things that makes you so amazing as a performer. So with that in mind, can you perhaps tell us a bit about your drag name, your drag persona and perhaps kind of how those things came together? Yeah, I had no support for being an ADHD kid. No one looked into why I was such a interesting child you know i'm autistic and I, there was no kind of level of guidance given to me to understand that about myself either and i think growing up without that support really affected how i handled who i was knowing who i was uh, but then I successfully, which is a rare thing to happen, I successfully understood myself. I had this self-awareness as a young kid that I think many people do not have the privilege of having. And so I now have the confidence of knowing exactly who I am because I've gone through that journey. And I think lots of LGBTQ people have that because they've gone through that journey too. And I sat there when I was choosing my drag name. Uh, which is obviously a play on ADHD. And I said to myself, either I create a drag name, which is a character, you know, I'll write up a synopsis, a backstory, or I can just extrapolate and exaggerate who I already am. Can you guess what I chose to do? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I exaggerated who I was, uh, which uh, if you can't hear, um, and as you said, <laughs> uh, is just a, a bundle of energy. And I sat there and I said to one of my friends, what should I call myself? Because I'm about to do a drag show for the first time properly in a gay bar. And it was a bit of fun, a bit of a drag competition. And I just said, what should I call myself? And I said, what am I? You know, what am I? And I go, I'm ADHD. I'm ADHD. I'm AD, I'm AD, I'm Ada HD. And it was generally the first name I came up with. Um, and I thought, oh my God, that's amazing. It's beautiful. I love it. I did not know I was going to have a career in this. I did not know that this was something that would, you know, eventually be this, uh, this role model for young people across the country. I did not know this was going to happen. I obviously have used ADHD as a way to kind of empower not just about LGBT stuff, but obviously about ADHD and neuro, neurodiverse kids. Um, negativity is all I got when it started to become a thing. You know, I remember secondary school was when they started noticing, you know, we, 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 had, we had left Section 28 era. The shadow of Section 28 was still looming, but it was kind of, it was dissipating. It still is dissipating. And they put me through a cognitive assessment test. Uh, and I remember have no idea why I'm doing this test either. They were like, we're going to put you, give me a computer. We're going to, here's some puzzles, go and solve them. And I did. Um, and I had no idea what was going to happen, but I went after and I said, oh, what happened? And they looked at me and they said, 
you've scored very high. And I went, oh, what does that mean? We're going to give you a computer. And so I had a computer and it solved everything. Ta-da, the end. No, of course not. And uh, I got, I started getting told that we think you might be this, think you might be that. It means that you're bad at this. It means that you're bad at that. It means you're going to need extra time. It means that this is the reason why you're bad at this. And there wasn't a single moment, I don't think, where I ever got any positives. And I look at ADHD and the so-called, quote, symptoms, unquote, of ADHD. And I realise it's all in the perspective of somebody who is not ADHD. Because I don't really have uh, a lack of attention. I don't have a deficit. What I have is uh, a chemical imbalance in my brain. That's what I have. And I can focus amazingly. I can hyper-focus extremely well. It's just unfortunately on the things I don't need to focus on. But <laughs> And at times I can't focus on a single thing and I will go off on a tangent across a tangent across a tangent. Thank God I've got a pen and paper everywhere I go because otherwise uh, I would be at a loss. Although I say that I lose the pen quite a lot and I tend to forget to go back to the paper that I've written on as well. But still, um, you know, I found my ways to go about my life. And I think I bring it back to the fact that I did find my own way to go about my life. And I'm glad that I did because I got zero help that was actually helpful. And so I look back on that journey that I went through and I wanted to change the balance of things. So now I go in to schools and I do story hours and I have kids who point out, and I mean this within the first five minutes, they interrupt and go, oh, you've got a necklace on that says ADHD. Because everywhere I go, I've got a like a crystal necklace that says ADHD. And I have kids who point it out and go, oh my God, are you ADHD? And I go by name and by diagnosis. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I just sit there and say, yeah, I am. I love it. Great. And they'll go, oh, I'm about to be diagnosed or I am going to be, or I am, you know, and, and they look at me and go, oh, oh my God, that's awesome. And I say, yeah, I think it is awesome. ADHD is amazing because you've got this superpower, really. I want to make things positive. ADHD needs to be positive. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm doing with my drag, um, uh, like I do with LGBTQ people too. It's so amazing you can be a positive role model for that. Because like you say, even now, obviously things have improved in schools, but I actually, you know, both of us work in schools and we know that ADHD is often talked about in negative tones or the, the consequences or the things you can't access within that particular setting and it highlights all the negatives. So for you to go in and demonstrate actually how that is a superpower and how those things can be used as strengths and be things and opportunities in your career and within your life is a wonderful thing. So that must be so incredible for the students and the kids that you go and perform for. So you kind of talked about whether, you, I don't know if it's fair to say you sort of stumbled into the sort of business mind of it, but obviously that was the first name you came up with. This is a bit like when you go shopping, isn't it? You try the first thing on, and then you go to nine other shops and you go back to the first thing because it was the best thing to begin with. Um, but having the name ADHD and having kind of this persona from a business sense, can you tell us a little bit about Drag Queen Story Hour UK? Yeah, of course. Um, so Drag Queen Story Hour UK creates interactive and entertaining storytelling shows uh, where... The stories told are celebrations of communities and minorities which have historically been marginalised. Kind of got six key things that we talk about. 
uh, which range between obviously orientation, gender, uh, environment, sustainability, uh, race, culture, disability, bullying with differences. You know, we, we, we talk about so many different things. And I think people do tend to get mixed up between what we actually do. Um, you know, last year we did the Drag Queen Story Hour UK summer tour. And we went to so many different libraries <laughs> and different councils in the, in the country. And there were people outside protesting. And these people were genuinely shouting something they thought was true. They thought inside libraries, I was doing a sex show for kids. That's what they genuinely thought. People ask me, what do I have to say about that? What would I say to them? And I would say that those people are victims. Oh yeah, they are victims. Victims of misinformation campaigns. And either these people have, you know, there's two problems here we're talking about, really. We've got different media companies who are spreading these misinformation campaigns. And then we've got these people who sit there and believe them, you know. And if anything, that could be encapsulated under one problem, and that's education. If we could teach these people who are spreading lies that, one, what you're spreading is a lie, and two, that it's harmful, and if we could tell those people who are then listening and thinking that that's true, if we could teach them that Facebook is not a good source for news, <laughs> and if we could teach them how to actually know what is a good source, maybe we might be able to make a difference with that one. But at the end of the day, all that Drag Queen Story Hour UK does is create literary-infused theatrical shows that majority of the times are in libraries, museums uh and then we do go into the odd school as well yes i mean before we before we talked today we were looking for your website and when you open your website there's this gorgeous video on the first page that summarizes what you do and on the video it, it describes what you do it simply says reading stories teaching inclusivity whilst having a lot of fun and when you put it like that, surely we're all on board with that, right? Like we all want to read stories to children. We all want to teach inclusivity, particularly in the holistic way that you described it. And we, we certainly all want our kids to have fun. But but yet there is this this heat. And, and, and you know, I, I followed what happened whilst you were on that tour last summer, so, some, some particularly large protests. And I'm wondering why why is it that you think the heat is so high on this at the moment. So, so we've been doing this work um, for for a few years now at Pride and Progress, and occasionally we get challenges on social media, the usual kind of challenges um, that people doing this work get. But this week on our socials has felt different. We we tweeted a week ago that we we're going to be talking with you. Some of the replies that we've had have been even for us quite shocking. I mean. I mean, I'm not going to read them on the podcast, but looking at them now, they, they range from some small kind of digs to, to awful accusations and, and some quite threatening tones. Why is it that you think the temperature is so high on this conversation at the moment? There's a lot of stuff you said there. I mean, you said that you've tweeted about me uh, coming on to Pride and Progress. Twitter, it's an interesting platform, isn't it? Um, I have serious, serious doubts and concerns for the... Uh, long-term existence of that platform i would like to see it maintain you know i'm not maybe necessarily fond of the owner the new owner not necessarily fond of his political views so yeah i would say twitter is not the best platform and i do actually uh, um encourage any events that we do 
not to really be advertised properly on Twitter because it's just not a safe space for any minority, to be honest. Uh, you did mention that we had large protests. Um, I disagree with you with the word large. That's an, that's, that's the wrong uh, descriptive word. And I'd also probably dis- uh, disagree with the word protest. Uh, they are These people who went outside shouting horrible things at kids, families, me, and other people are a disgrace to the very concept of what is a protest. Pride is a protest. They were just aggressive people. Aggressors. So if I'm perfectly honest, I'm probably going to call them aggressors from this point onwards. And the aggressors only ever amounted to a maximum of probably, I think it was 35 people was the maximum we've ever had. Uh, Where if you count the supporters that that, uh, arrived, uh, they reached at one point 300 people at one time. Now, you've basically asked me, why do we think we're in this very current political climate? Uh, and why this political climate we're in is currently the way it is. What it's a, a great... small question for a Wednesday evening. <laughs> Just a small question. Yes, you're right. Um, so this political climate that we have, I think, is all down to the Tories. Exciting, this one, isn't it? Oh, God. Oh, who'd have thought I'd have said that? We, let's let, let's take a look back. Let's go down to the let's go let's go back to nineteen seventies. There was a pandemic for ten years. They didn't even tell you about the pandemic. Imagining within COVID that for ten years they didn't tell us about COVID. That was the HIV and AIDS pandemic. That's what actually happened, and they literally withheld information so that people would silently die in hospitals. And that's what happened. Cue an advert in the nineteen eighties describing HIV. With a massive, massive gravestone. I mean, it was deemed the gay disease. Uh, the, 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 the government we have in power now are the people who put that in place. The government we have in power now then followed suit with Section 28. Let's bring it right back to where we are now. I mean, there's so much in between. But right now, how long have we been waiting for an actual proper full ban on LGBTQ conversion therapy? So, yeah, I think in this political climate, you take a look at the the um, build up to this moment we're in right now. Um, I'm not even shocked that we have people who genuinely think we should die. I'm not even shocked. Uh, not to mention the... Uh, overspill from the from the political climate in the United States, where only just last week, or no, it was this week, it was a couple of days ago, where somebody genuinely called for the uh, eradication of trans people. No, we are in a political climate that has been built up to this very moment. We could definitely find blame in all different factions of the world, but if you want to find one faction of people to blame, you can blame the Tories. Thank you, first of all, for correcting me in relation to those aggressors outside your shows, and particularly, I think, in relation to the scale of them. I guess I guess my misunderstanding there goes some way to show the misinformation online and how the scale of this conversation is distorted at times. Um, I think whilst it's important for us to, to talk about where that misinformation or that hatred or, or that, where that anger comes from, I think it's also really important for us to speak into the other side of that crowd, to, to speak into the supporters of the work that you're doing. So 
I wonder if you could tell our listeners, in your opinion, what's what's the value of this work? Why is the work that Drag Queen Story Hour UK has been doing over the last few years really important and valuable for children? Okay, so I will tell you a little anecdote from what happened in 2019. I was doing a Drag Queen Story Hour in London and there was loads of kids and this was a very popular event that we did on a monthly basis and this uh, popular event had all uh, ranges of ages uh, not just you know babies we had toddlers we had you know eight-year-olds 12-year-olds uh, we had some young uh, uh, young people who were in you know in secondary school they kind of came came along anyway uh, with their parents of course I mean you had parents and at the end of this one of these story hours there were this these two i would say about 12 13 year old people um who came up to me afterwards now after a story hour there's always hello what's your favorite color oh let's have a chat but these two young people had waited and i could see them they were they were hovering on the side as if to say we're coming we're coming to talk to you but we want to wait till the end which always means there's something they want to tell they want to tell you something I got to the end and I ushered them forward and I crossed my legs and I said, go on then, tell me what it is you want to tell me. I can, t- I can see it's on the tip of your tongue. And they go, so we, pointing at each other, we are gay, but we haven't told anyone. And I said, oh, when, so no one, you've told anyone, just... And they said, no, no, you are the first person we've told. So I said, oh, that's fabulous. Well done. Love it. Great. I love it. And they go, and we need to ask you a question. And I said, go on, tell me. And they said, when should we tell our parents? What I'd want to say is, come out, tell the world. I wanted to say, shout about it. Open your window, sing to the birds, tell them. But I can't. I can't do that. And there's nothing wrong with them wanting to come out. Or coming out is always joyous. But first and foremost, you need to take into account your safety. And I do not want any kids coming out putting themselves in an unsafe position. I don't know their situation. I don't know if their parents are understanding people. So at any moment, if I ever get asked this question, I will say, you should only come out when you feel comfortable to do so. Only when you feel comfortable. Comfortable and safe. They nodded at each other and they said, I think, I think we'll feel comfortable and safe. We're going to come out to them tonight. <gasps> oh, my God. So I said, oh, well, uh, good luck. And if I see you again, please do let me know how it goes. And I left London and I went back home and I remember it was dark, it was raining. And I had a film TV moment that, you know, if if I I can imagine the angle panning to the right, zooming in on my face as I cried silently looking out the window. Um, And I did, I cried. And late-ish 2021, I went back to that same venue and I did my story hour. I didn't see them there. And then I finished and I was walking away from where I was performing. (gasps) And there was one of them. I went, "Ah! Ah! Ah! Ah!" 
Now, I'm I'm quite good at remain, maintaining character. And I say character. Um, it, that's a very loose definition of the word character. But I, if I had any sense of characterization for Ada, it was gone. I went, I come back, come here. Uh, and and there, I, I mean, I didn't need to really usher them to me. They were like, ah, back themselves as well. And I said, oh, hello. Oh, how are you? Oh, what last time I saw you, it was, oh, uh, tell me what happened. And they said, oh, uh, yeah, we came out. Um, and we're together now and our, our parents love it and it's great and everything's amazing oh oh my goodness me I cannot tell you how much of a weight off my own shoulders it was but how much of a different confident person that I had seen back in 2019 that this person was now and I was like oh my god this is amazing and I look at that and I think wow now that is what Drag Queen Story Hour is about. For for regular listeners listeners to the podcast, I am predictably once again crying on the podcast. It happens every time. Um, I, I asked you a silly question. I asked you what the value of this work was, and actually you'd already answered the question because earlier on you said a sentence, something to the effect of, I think it was, in, in a world of hate, I allowed myself to be myself and it inspired people to do better. You were talking about when you were 13 in that play, and it's the same thing now, right? You allowing yourself to be yourself in front of these young people is inspiring people um, to to do better, inspiring people to be themselves as well. But as you said earlier on, inspiring people who aren't LGBT to to do better as well. I think what was really interesting, Sam, and what you said there was actually 2019 version of you um, felt that kind of weight afterwards and obviously didn't know what had happened. And I think that speaks to how a lot of teachers feel sometimes in schools, because even though we sort of know what we're allowed to say, that shadow of Section 28 hangs pretty heavily. And actually, you know, we talked um, with Ian a couple of weeks about RSE, and actually people aren't very well trained on how to advise young people about these things. And obviously your answer was a good one, but even then you sort of second guess yourself and question yourself. So I think that just highlights the experience of many, many teachers. And I don't know whether you've got any advice around that, but obviously it was fantastic that you kind of had that bookend of that story when you saw them again more recently. I have got advice, actually. Uh, and it's advice for teachers, but I think it might be advice for heads as well, to be honest. And it's to organise alumni regroups. Go back, invite them, pay for them to come and ask them, what did we do? How could we do it better? What did we do great? Because if anything, gaining feedback from the kids you taught 10 years ago, five years ago, is probably the most valuable feedback any school could get. And I'm surprised because I have never vocalized which schools I have been to. But I can tell you, they know who I am. They know where I've been. And they've never got in contact, specifically those schools. Not a single one. I wish they had. I think that's that's such good advice. Um, I'm conscious that we, we've spoken about Drag Queen Story Hour UK. Um, what we haven't really spoken about is that some of the stories that you're sharing are stories that you've written. How did you get into writing children's books? The concept of a drag artist reading a story uh, kind of started in 2015 in the United States. But, and this is not uh, any any criticism towards uh, what they were doing then, but I, uh, uh, what I saw online were 
some uh, a drag artist opening a book and reading it word for word. That's great. That's lovely. But I also remember back to when I was a kid. Um, I was at uh, a storytelling in uh, a library. And I, the ADHD nightmare that I was to these librarians, wanted to get up and shout at them. And the pantomimes I went to. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, God. It, oh, pantomime was like an ADHD person's heaven. It's amazing. And I wanted to bring that to Drag Queen Story Hour. I mean, you know, pantomime is a big thing in the UK. So I wanted to bring it to the UK version. And so... I started, you know, reading books by other authors. I remember thinking, these books were not written for a theatricalized version in mind. And so, in the pandemic, I sat down and I said, wow, I've got lots of time on my hands. <laughs> like I think lots of people did. And from the ashes came my first book called The Three Goats United. It is a, it is a, a take on um, Billy Goat's Gruff, uh, where Billy Goat's Gruff is about greed. You know, the uh, troll under the bridge greedily goes from small to medium to big goat, and once he gets to the big goat, his greed took the better of him and was unable to take on the big goat. I um, reversed that uh, and decided to get rid of the troll uh, and uh, I'll read you the synopsis of the back of the book. When a brown, black, and pink goat try to cross the bridge to get to the other side, a horrid white beast called Wolf appears looking to cause trouble. <laughs> a story about standing up to bullies and goats. And on the back it does say stop bullying as well. And I'll leave it at that because you've got to buy the book to find out what happens. So, <laughs> uh, These books were written with a theatricalised version in mind uh and once i wrote wrote the first one i called my mum and i actually read it to my mother and she went oh, oh my god i love it i love it um and once i started reading it to other people and kind of seeing their reactions i kind of realized oh maybe i'm actually quite good at this next year i write a second one uh which is about two lesbian hedgehogs uh one of them's allergic to trees <laughs> of course um uh, but she re refuses to go to the vet and ends up running away into the forest where she's allergic to trees. I mean, how stupid can you get? And because she hates the trees so much, she cuts down all of the trees. And then she ends up having to deal with the consequences. You know, your actions have consequences, as it says in the book. I will not tell you how they deal with all of the trees being cut down. And then, of course, I would be wrong of me not to mention it. I've just written and just released uh, a brand new book, um, which is in first person. Uh, it's, uh, I, mean, the, 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 I mean, it is um, uh, slightly emotional. Uh, I did not cry re-reading my first two books. I have cried and struggled to read this book out loud uh, multiple times. It's called My First Pride. It's about a young boy who well, uh, goes to Pride for the very first time. On the way, he finds a community. On the way, he finds self-admiration. But on the way, he also finds love. Yeah, it's a slightly more 
I want to say maybe personal, to be honest, currently out on pre-order. You can get all of my books at www.dragqueenstoryhour.co.uk. Yeah, you know, if I was to maybe want anyone to go away from a drag queen story hour with anything i'd probably want them to go away with my book no i'm joking uh no i'd want them to go away with the knowledge of the fact that there are people just like them out there and i probably want the same thing from kids who read uh, my books too Sab, we want to thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Um, as Joe said, you know, we were blown away when we saw you at the NEU conference last year. Literally, we looked at each other that time and said, we must have Ada on the podcast. Um, and it's been amazing to talk to you. Your energy is infectious. And so is your moral purpose, actually. That's what's been so lovely to hear about why you've, you know, what Ada became and, and the amazing work you do through Drag Queen Story Hour UK. Our final question for you is, what is the best thing for you about being an LGBT plus artist? What is the best thing for me about being an LGBT plus artist? Uh, It's the monthly meetings that all of the LGBT people go to where we kind of, you know, write uh, uh, star signs in blood and try to try to pact uh, about trying to turn every single person gay. We go around, join hands, uh, sing satanic songs and uh, prepare the world for world domination. What date is the next meeting? Is it June? Uh, oh, you, you weren't there the last one. What are you doing? <sighs> Invite only. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, no, my favourite thing being an LGBTQ uh, artist that works for children, actually. I think it needs to be said that uh, that works for children really is the fact that I get to see all of these children actually kind of growing up now. I've been doing this long enough. I, I am seeing kids grow as people and becoming their own people and it's really nice to see thank you so much for making the time to talk to us you you are you're a fantastic storyteller and thank you for telling us some of your story today i think what's been interesting for me is that arc from from where your drag began to to the brilliant work you're doing now because you told us how drag for you started with you being asked to dress up in drag and tell a story to young people in your high school play when you were 13 and when you told us about that, you said something along the lines of, in a world of hate, I allowed myself to be myself and it inspired people to be better. And now you continue to, to dress up, to get into drag and to tell stories to young people and, and many, many more young people in much bigger spaces. And, and you're continuing to be yourself and through that, inspiring people to do better. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing, for the gorgeous stories that you're writing and for making the time to tell us about them today. We'll make sure that your website is in our show notes for anyone who wants to find out more. There's something amazing about drag queens, isn't there? Kind of being disruptive in spaces, like disrupting heteronormativity and cisnormativity. And it kind of encourages openness in people. And I think what ADHD has talked about there was what they do in their story hour in schools is really amazing. It kind of allows people to question what is considered normal. And um, I think that's really powerful, particularly at young ages. Yeah, and that reminds me actually of when we spoke to Davina and we said that when, when Davina entered the room and performed, everyone just kind of relaxed and there was more freedom to be themselves. So I guess it goes back to what Ada was saying. In in a world full of hate, I allowed myself to be myself and that inspired other people. Yeah, and that's so powerful. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave a review or a five-star rating, as this helps other educators to find these stories. 
If you want to continue the conversation, to comment or to ask a question, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pride Progress. You can also find other ways to contact us in the show notes. Thanks for listening.